Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I am your other host, Liam. Wow, you really hit that. You are the other host, Liam. It's not anybody else. Well, my uh, my podcast coach told me that I need a higher word count oh, for my man. intro, so I figured split up the contractions. No more contractions. Who's your podcast coach? That is classified information. Okay, fair enough. If you gave all that away on air to the people, you know, anybody could do this show. It's true. Obviously, we've carved out a very specific thing here that only a set uh, duo and occasional guest can achieve. Yeah, I've already gone too far explaining that, that you have a coach. It's too much. Right. Cut this out. It is too much. Corey, if I listen to this episode next <laughs> week and I hear that this part is in the episode, I swear to God. Okay, that's well, okay. That's a that's a little bit of off-air discussion, but what we do have today, this is something that we picked up from, uh, if not a podcasting coach, then maybe just sort of uh, the entertainer's guide to having a good time, which is that uh, we're at the whims of a gimmick this week for the very first time of this particular gimmick, at the very least. Uh, <laughs> this, yeah, I guess we've done a few, and we have been haunted at least once, which I think is appropriate given the circumstances. <laughs> Um, Wait, well, what is that one haunting? <laughs> well, the Spooktober man oh, comes yeah, and how goes. Forget. You know? That's right. That's right. How could you forget? I mean, Clancy too. I guess. I guess it ends so haunting? positively that I forgot it was a haunting. Is Clancy a haunting, or is that more, more of, of more of a reckoning? <laughs> I'd say we deserved that one. So last week we picked the movie off a big list with a random number generator, and uh, we got an appropriate choice. We got House on Haunted Hill from 1999, which is a remake of William Castle's 1959 film of the same name that stars Vincent Price, who everybody loves. And I think that, you know, it feels appropriate that in our first attempts at being a gimmicky showman, we are doing a film inspired by a gimmicky showman. You know, that That just feels right. That is pretty cool. Yeah, when it when it popped up, I thought it was sort of a innocuous, random choice. It's just kind of middle of the road. But the more I thought about it, uh, I really think it's a really good one to kick off the number generator. Game. Yeah, I like. Well, it. there. So Liam, there's a phrase that I've lived my whole life by, and it's something that uh, you know, once you think about it, it really sort of informs you know just your trust in things like this and things like the random number generator or just happenstance. And it's a um, it's from uh, it's from a deep philosophical text called uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to believe in the heart of the cards, and that's what we yes. did. Yes, and that's how we got here. And so, House on Haunted Hill, nineteen ninety nine, which makes it sound like a futuristic, like the Blade Runner twenty forty nine of House on Haunted Hill movies. Yes, that's in the, that is in the title. <laughs> House on Haunted Hill, nineteen ninety nine, from the year nineteen ninety. House on Haunted Hill, Millennium. Hollow <laughs> scene. <laughs> and um so this is a movie that comes to us from Dark Castle Entertainment. Liam, have you yeah. heard of Dark Castle Entertainment? I have. I have. Yeah. Okay. What can you tell me about Dark Castle Entertainment then? Now the shoes on the other foot. Sure. So Dark Castle Entertainment started, uh, they put out their first movie in 1999. It was actually this movie. And the original goal um, was to remake William Castle movies. You know, those old horror movies bring that 
gothic sensibility back to the mainstream. Um, there were some big names in the mix, like Robert Zemeckis was one of the founders. When and I so, saw that credit at the beginning of this movie, I was like, excuse me? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know, hey? Um, and so they initially wanted to do William Castle remakes. They also wanted to have a lot of gimmicky stuff. So um, in this movie, they when the release happened, they gave out uh, scratch-off tickets in yeah. order for people to win money. Um, and, you know, that's mimicking uh william castle he he was sort of a pioneer of these sorts of yeah. gimmick they started off um doing the william castle remakes then they branched out pretty quickly um, they did two only... william castle remakes that's it <laughs> yes yeah and then they started to do other horror movies like house of wax from 05 which is uh on our list that's a remake and then they did original horror movies too like they did orphan from 2009 uh you know that's one of my favorites and um, they also have one of the best opening, you know, one of the best production logos of all time. <laughs> it's right at the beginning yeah, of this movie. I also it, took it, note it, of that. It sets the it, tone. It, it fits perfectly. Yeah, you can tell that they, the company was founded with a purpose at the very beginning, you know, because that, I'll tell you right now that that logo is not at the beginning of Orphan 2009. It doesn't <laughs> look and sound like that. So uh, they they grew as a company over the, over the 10 it's years a company- that came after that had very specific goals and knew like what they wanted at least initially also they can be credited with the 2002 film ghost ship which has like one of the funniest movie posters i've ever seen yes yeah and it reminded me to absolutely put that on our list Corey, which has grown since last week because uh ghost ship is a remake of an old horror movie and it's no, it it, be a good one i tell you what i hate to break your heart liam right on the podcast no, it is not. <laughs> what? Uh, there are two movies with the same name. One of them is from 1952. One of them is Ghost Ship from 2002. They are not related. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's news to me. Man, well, I got to keep it on the list just because of the name. They made another movie called Ghost Ship that <laughs> I almost, isn't a remake. Yeah, maybe that, maybe that makes it more applicable. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. Um interesting very interesting thank you for that yeah and so yesterday uh after watching this movie i was talking a bit with a friend of the show ben meckler and i had mentioned that i was watching this and he immediately got stoked he was like this movie rules dark castle entertainment rules 13 ghosts is also sick and then he just sort of hit me with some william castle lore that i didn't really have um, so I'd like to give you a choice cut from that, and then I've got some more on hand. Time for you to dive into the rest of the Dark Castle catalog, and then the William Castle catalog, including the era in which he'd installed fake skeletons and joy buzzers in the seats at theaters and label it Skellovision. Love it. That is Love it. such an endearing, old-timey, or like lack of a better word, like hokey means of like scaring people. So uh, William Castle did a movie, for example, called The Tingler, uh, which was uh, filmed in Percepto. And um, okay. so there's a advertisement that says, do you have the guts to sit in this chair? Can you take it when the tingler breaks loose? Can you take Percepto? Um, so Percepto is those joy buzzers. Um, and so I'm just going to read from the Wikipedia here really quick. 
The title character is a creature that attaches itself to the human spinal cord. It is activated by fright and can only be destroyed by screaming. Castle purchased military surplus airplane wing de-icers that consist of vibrating motors. It had a crew travel from theater to theater, attaching them to the underside of some of the seats. In that era, movie did not necessarily open on the same night nationwide, so they could make that happen. In the finale, one of the creatures supposedly gets loose in the movie theater itself. The buzzers were activated as the film's star, Vincent Price, warned the audience to scream for their lives. Some sources incorrectly wow. state that the seats were given were wired to electrocute people, which they were not. Uh, and I guess they say here that like young audience members would look for seats that had been wired to get that in. But uh, so the Kingler <laughs> was shot in Percepto. Um, and these were movies that he was presenting or producing uh, independently because he had done some studio stuff. But uh, so House on Haunted Hill from 1959 was shot in, quote, Emerjo. <laughs> uh, a skeleton with red lighted eye sockets attached to a wire floated over the audience in the final moments of some showings to parallel what was happening on screen. Um, and once word spread about the skeleton, kids enjoyed trying to knock it down with whatever they had on hand. Um, <laughs> 13 Ghosts had... Um, was filmed in illusion O. Each patron received a handheld ghost viewer or remover. During certain segments, a person could see ghosts by looking through the red cellophane or hide them by looking through blue cellophane. Without the viewer, the ghosts were somewhat visible. And on the DVD release, they attempted to replicate that. Um, there's a few more here. I'm not going to read a Wikipedia page at everybody, but I do want to talk about the movie Homicidal uh, because it had... Um, I'll let John Waters describe it, so I'm just going to read from that. Uh, William Castle simply went nuts. He came up with Coward's Corner, a yellow cardboard booth manned by a bewildered theater employee in the lobby. When the fright break of the film was announced, which was 45 seconds, like a timer would come up before the climax of the film, and you would have 45 seconds as an audience member if you were too scared, if you wanted to leave and get a refund. <laughs> So so there was a fright break, and then if you decided that you couldn't take it anymore, you had to leave your seat and in front of the entire audience, follow yellow footsteps up the aisle bathed in a yellow light. Before you reached the coward's corner, you crossed yellow lines with the stenciled message, Cowards Keep Walking. You passed a nurse who would offer a blood pressure test. All the while, a recording was blaring, Watch the chicken, watch him shiver in coward's corner. As the audience howled, you had to go through one final indignity. At Coward's Corner, you were first to sign a yellow card stating, I am a bona fide coward. What? In William Castle is a <laughs> savage. Yeah, man. So um, a lot of his movies had gimmicks, gimmicks like this um, in that period where he was producing independently. I don't know how much of that the studio... The studios rather let him necessarily get away with, but you know, if you're thinking of him as like a hokey, lovable haunted house showman, you're thinking of it in the right terms. So I didn't know a ton of that until here, but um, that's such an exciting thing for uh, a production studio with the likes of Robert Zemeckis behind it, who's just a big name to be like, it's the 20th century. We're gonna start replicating fucking percepto <laughs> yeah um 
choking up. Uh, <laughs> it's got it. <laughs> Never gets old. It's got to be like Robert Zemeckis grew up with that stuff and has fond memories of it. And so that I think that's a case of <clears throat> childhood turning into up. adult. <laughs> never gets old <laughs> um childhood turning into adulthood you know and these these people who were kids getting excited by certain things get into positions of power and then they want to replicate those things now that they uh have the means to do so and um i think that's that's always exciting when you get that turnover of a generation and uh you get callbacks to stuff from 30 40 years ago or so you know we see it a lot now with the 80s and coming up to the 90s and so that's that stuff is just it's so cool it's a it's an interesting time in in horror is that late 90s to early 2000s shift yeah and i i think i think they kind of nailed the timing on attempting to do something like that um because i feel like around this time or maybe just after it like you start getting like saw <laughs> And like hostile and like really aggro, like really gross, like tortury, jacked up horror movies. So I like that they found a window in which they were like, "What if everything was silly again?" And they yeah, sort of no, just snuck it in there. You're absolutely right because when I think of like, uh, yeah, like mid two thousands horror is exactly what you'd say. I'd say it's a lot of the grittier remakes Mm. saw is an original movie and then we get texas chainsaw massacre we get the hills have eyes stuff like that and so um by the time we're only five years removed from the release of house on haunted hill i think the the culture has changed a whole lot and so really i think uh two william castle remakes is is about all they could fit in and then the horror landscape changed so so much yeah Because then they put out a few more original horror movies in between, like a, a Halle Berry movie called Gothica, um, which made a lot of money but hasn't had a lot of staying power. And then by the time the mid-2000s hit, that's when they put out House of Wax, which is a remake of an older horror movie. But I would say um, the way that remake comes across is much more Hills Have Eyesy than it is. Uh, House on Haunted Hill remake. And so I think they actually did a really good job at following uh, following the changing times and uh, capitalizing on it. And then Orphan in 2009, you know, that made a bunch of money too. That was an original horror movie that, that feels very much of that time. And so it's a really fascinating production company that even though they haven't done anything big in a while now, they, I think they, they, they did a really good job. And they seem to be back. When I was talking to Ben, he mentioned how he he wished, like he missed Dark Castle as a company. And mm-hmm. I was like, I I looked it up. Uh, so on Wikipedia, which I get is not the end all be all of um, film information, they appear to be involved in producing uh, Simon Barrett's next movie, Seance. And okay. the orphan sequel or prequel. Oh, you know it. Um, this is going to be a Dark Castle podcast. So they're back, I guess. Um, they had been gone. Uh, if I go based on the Wikipedia things that don't say citation needed, the last movie would have been 2013. So right, yeah, it had been a while. Um, but you know, maybe we're going to get more of the Dark Castle slash William Castle vibe in our lives. 
I um, love it, man. They were they were just biding their time. Yeah. You know? It's time for Orphan first kill. I am so ready, man. Like Scream Five is obviously at the top of my anticipation list. But, but Orphan first Orphan kill first is sooner. Is is right up there, man. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think those are two things that we are dying to see. Yeah, that's that's podcast material right there. That's also them. just life material. I just want to see those. <laughs> Which is really when the, when the <laughs> best podcast episodes come out is when your life material crosses <laughs> with your podcast material. Yeah. Not to be confused with Materia, which is Final Fantasy shit that's different. And it's also a William Castle gimmick from the 50s. <laughs> William Castle uh, came out with a movie where uh, it was threatened that if anybody looked away from the screen, one of the little tiny gremlin monsters would come out and suck out all of their life material. <laughs> so it was like, they, and then so all the audience had, they got given horse blinders. So the only thing they could look at. Is the screen? They were also put into these uh, saturation <laughs> chambers. Corey, um, so in your years of filmmaking, have you ever encountered a theatrical gimmick? No, such as such as never. This? I mean, I've like so. This depends a lot on what we consider theatrical gimmick to mean now, because like you could argue that like when you go see the room. And everybody's fucking throwing spoons at you. Like, that's like an audience-created theatrical gimmick. But it's still kind of that. But in terms of, like, I'm seeing a movie and the director has set out specific instructions on how it is to be shown, n I don't think so. Nothing comes to mind. Like, you'd, you'll see, like, in theater lobby, like, advertising gimmick. But I don't think I've ever seen anything that fits the bill in the way that, like, they're dangling a skeleton over the audience or something. I think that for better or for worse exists in just a different era of like what going to the movie theater was. Um, but I wish there was some of that. Have you I'd, like, I hope. Yeah. So. What? Yeah. The, the closest thing I got, um, <laughs> it's no skeleton from a ceiling, you know, William Castle was a, was a once in a lifetime sort one, of guy. One of a kind. Um, one of a kind. Uh, and also, I grew up in a small enough town that part of me thinks that if there were any of these uh, super specific gimmicks that maybe, you know, weren't didn't happen at every single screening, but they were they were paid for and rigged up in uh, in bigger cities and bigger premieres and stuff. Um, you know, I might have missed out on stuff like that, but. I did get one in my small little theater that I guess maybe the director was so insistent that he demanded that um, this gimmick accompany every single screening worldwide. And it was a movie that we can do on this podcast, Corey. In fact, we flirted with it before. It was Spy Kids 4. Uh, okay. I don't remember that being that? a gimmick for Spy Kids 4. That's right. Yeah. So it would have been like 2011 or something. Um I show up to Spy Kids 4, and the ticket lady gives me and the group, including friend of the show, Keiki, these scratch-and-sniff paper cards. What? And we take them, and then we go into the theatrical fucking room, and we're watching the movie, and then occasionally throughout the movie, um, text shows up on screen, or like a maybe an icon shows up on screen, something like that. Some sort of indication within the film that tells you to scratch off an item on your card and then smell it 
and it corresponds to stuff that's happening. Wow, weird uh, on screen at the movie. Yeah, what kind of smells? Oh my gosh, dude! Probably like probably bad ones. Probably bad ones. I mean, why would they make it oh good my. ones? That's not fun for kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that movie is like a total void in my brain. I, what could have happened in that movie that I, was smelly? I, I don't even know. I think. Um, the kind of thing that we're talking about has kind of uh, been allocated to like amusement parks. Like you get like 4D showings or whatever. You're getting sprayed with mist or you're in a seat that moves or something. But none of those are like a film created with the directorial intent that you get sat in a vibrating seat, right? Um, but I think we should be bringing it back. Yeah, it's it's it can be fun, you know. I went to uh, Disney World. Now is our chance Studios. to sorry. Now is our chance to reinvent the movie theater post pandemic, and the answer is more skeletons. <laughs> yeah, that'll get people <laughs> in the that seats. That will get um, butts in seats. Yeah, Disney. You know, when I went to yeah, when I went to Disney and Universal um, a year ago, right before the pandemic hit, coincidentally, um, we saw a couple you know, little like short films, whatever you want to call them, like Bugs Life and the Muppets and stuff. Yeah. And um, and there's stuff like coming out from, there's like puppets coming at you from left and right and there's a uh, mist going into the air and your seat is like bumping you as mm-hmm. if there's spiders crawling beneath you. That stuff is, it's kind of fun. I don't know. Yeah, I've had similar, I've done similar stuff. Uh, but I, I, I gotta say, like reading these William Castle stories like it just sounds like it would be so fun to have like a real just raw goofy gimmick and apparently have the theater not care in the slightest about like liability or anything just let us do it just let us do dumb shit in your movie theater (laughs) and let's not forget uh once again a lesser gimmick but a gimmick nonetheless is one of our favorite movies Clue that had the multiple endings in different theaters you know they swung hard with that gimmick and from what I've heard, uh, it's kind of what crippled the movie and cut off its legs because people were upset. They were getting different endings and they weren't going back to see other endings and stuff. But you know, stuff like that is—it's just so fun. You gotta to pull a, on and, You gotta pull a clue and just include all the endings in the release of the movie. <laughs> yeah, dude. Which I know they didn't—they didn't do that in the theatrical release. But now, if you watch it, it's like, well, here's one of them. But what if this happened? But what if this happened? And like, that's funny. Yeah, it's it's an optimal way to view the movie now. Um, and so we found as optimal a way way as we could to view this movie, which does not have any specific gimmicks that I was aware of. Um, which is the classic rent it off of the internet because we live in the future and are all trapped inside, and so we got to sit down with a pretty stacked cast of actors for this film um we got jeffrey rush we have uh famke jansen tay diggs peter gallagher chris Catan, ali larder bridget wilson max perlick jeffrey combs briefly <laughs> lisa loeb briefly <laughs> james marsters and uh peter graves as himself which is always fun but really quick before we get into the movie Let's look at the crew, because we've got some they made another one ass shit going on in this crew. 
And let's hear it. Liam, there's a name that we've seen before that I saw it. I saw it. And uh, much like the tingler, it sent a chill down my spine, Liam. So I'm going to start <laughs> with that one. Okay. The writer of this movie is uh, is Dick Beeb. Do you remember that name? <laughs> no, but I read it on screen and I exclaimed and then I read it out loud to Brianna. I thought that was an amazing name. What but movie do not... you think he wrote that we watched? Dick Beeb. Okay, uh, House on Haunted Hill sort of sounds like the dialogue of Flintstones 2. Nope. He wrote Shit. uh He wrote Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2. Oh man. Uh, Interesting, hey? One year apart. Incredible how you could write such a bad movie and then a tangibly better movie that close together. Wow. <laughs> um Dick Beeb. And then the story for this movie is from Rob White, who worked on the original films and did a bunch of stuff with William Castle. Uh, William Malone directed this movie, who did a movie called Fear.com. Welcome to the 2000s. Yes. Oh, man. I've, yeah, I've been dying to see that movie. I haven't got there he yet. He also did but... an episode of Freddy's Nightmare, the Nightmare on Elm Street TV show. Mm, we'll be seeing you soon, Will. And then we've got a cinematography by Rick Boda. Boda D's Nuts. Okay. Got that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even tell if you're laughing because I think you're laughing in such a way that Discord isn't even picking it up. Yeah, no, I laugh. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so he worked on a uh, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, a movie called Blood Fist Three: Forced to Fight. Um, but he also directed Hellraiser, Hellseeker, Hellraiser, Deader, and Hellraiser, Hellworld. Not to Are be those outdone. actual movies in the franchise? Yeah, and then not to be outdone, oh, the shit. editor of this movie edited Hellraiser, Hellseeker, Hellraiser, Deader, and Hellraiser, Hellworld. They sound like episodes of a web series. They sound, I haven't heard of any of those. They sound fictional. As far as I could tell, they, they appear to be movies in the franchise. I can double- Is that before or after Inferno? I think I they would have been after... Let me double check here. I'm just going to check now. Uh, bu- 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 bu. Hellraiser Hellseeker was 2002. When was uh, Inferno was before that? I think it was like 2000. Yeah, so I think it's the three movies after that. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. I don't know if we'll ever return to the Hellraiser franchise. I don't know how you feel about that, but it is incredible that, that there are so, so many, many Hellraiser fucking Hellraiser movies. movies. Like we... Corey and I thought it would be a good idea to go deep for our first ever episode of the podcast and not just do Hellraiser 2. We're going to go oh. deep into the Hellraiser franchise. And apparently we didn't even dip our toes into where Hellraiser is gone. We've also heard of the uh, the composer for this movie before. His name is Don Davis. He did Jurassic Park 3 and also the Matrix trilogy. Hey, um, we've been there. And we, we, we heard your work before. Thanks, Don. And thank you, Dick, for your contributions. <laughs> and um so this movie revolves around uh a gimmicky theater theater park theme park purveyor creator does i don't know what he really does um named stephen price uh who is in a very bad marriage with his wife <laughs> just a horrible marriage and uh they're throwing um her a birthday party at 
the house on haunted hill Uh uh-oh sounds like that could go badly and um they're arguing about who should be on the guest list for that but then uh the house as we learn hacks the computer and picks five people to come to this party that he is pitching as like oh it's gonna be big spooky scary here are your art deco invitations from the 30s and uh if you can stay through the night you will win one million dollars and um each for the five of you and anybody who leaves that money gets split up amongst the rest of you and you just got to stay here anyone who leaves or doesn't survive anyone who leaves or doesn't survive which is actually a a stronger threat than you would realize because chris Catan, who owns the house fully believes the house is alive and going to kill everybody and he might be right let's find out had you seen the 1959 movie because i'll just say now that i haven't no i had not um that, like anything pre-70s is a pretty big horror blind spot for me so uh as we've established on the show before black and white movies right we don't like them they're no good <laughs> <laughs> uh no but um yeah like gothic horror haunted house horror just isn't really my thing even in modern day and so i have not done my due diligence and gone back and seen a lot of those Quoth the raven i'm not watching this movie it's not in yeah. color so no my my see my vincent price knowledge is like edward scissorhands and the thriller video i haven't even gone back to his heyday so that's stuff that uh is, is uh foreign to me really i i don't know anything about the 59 version except for the skeleton thing right. i didn't know that uh and had you seen this movie before because it kind of sounds like you had right yes i have okay um about uh i don't know how long ago but my friends and i were hanging out in uh my basement in my hometown and um this we is a, this into... is a real basement hometown film yes it really is and we were into watching movies together and uh a fun way to do it to help us pick instead of just you know looking at what's illegal on websites on the internet and there's so many options on the internet it's it's not as fun. So we would we would go to the library, or at least I would go to the library, and I would pick off a bunch of uh, horror movies that they had at the library. I'd just rent them, and then I'd bring them all back to the house, and we would watch them. And House on Haunted Hill 1999 was one that they had at my public library, so I rented it, brought it back uh, to the, my place, and we all watched it together. Nice. That's cool. I didn't know anything about this. So did you like it the first time you saw it? No, no, I didn't like it at all. Um, How none old of us were liked you? it. In fact, dude, this was this was recently. This was like a year ago, maybe. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. Um, I, uh, man, Roger Ebert described. Uh, I think it was Friday the Thirteenth, one of the slasher movies. He described it as a geek show, right, and gave it like a a one star out of four or something. It's just like not his vibe. And I would, I would describe Haunted House like gothic ghosty movies as geek shows to me they're just not really my sensibility <laughs> you and fucking so, um, dorks i thought this was just like so corny i didn't like the acting i didn't like the effects i uh didn't like how um you know like i, I didn't like the music i didn't think that the the 50s vibe that they were clearly replicating even though i hadn't seen the 50s movie a lot of that is still in here you know with the with the music stings and uh the types of performance particularly of our mr price they're like so big and um i i just 
really didn't like any of it. It didn't leave an impression on me at all. Uh, I thought the effects were really cheesy. I didn't like the didn't like the scares. I, I was just totally down on it. We were all pretty pretty down on it. And I looked on Letterboxd um, at my rating at the time because this was when I was using Letterboxd again, only about a year or so ago. And I gave it a one point five out of five. Wow, so that's where I was. Yeah. That's just so harsh considering that we've given at least two stars to some pretty bad trash on this show. It's true, yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we started doing this show um, a little bit after I watched House on Haunted Hill, possibly, and I think I've grown a lot in uh, in that last year. So I, I was really excited to uh, revisit this. Initially, I wasn't. Like, my instinct when I read it is just, oh, I saw that movie pretty recently. And, didn't and I like didn't it. like it yeah. at all. But then I got thinking... And I, I remembered our um, season two premiere, Texas Chainsaw, The Next Generation. And that's another movie that I saw about a year, a year and a half ago. Um, didn't like it at all. We revisited it for the podcast. I wasn't particularly looking forward to it because I, I haven't heard praise, hadn't heard praise for that movie. It wasn't like I was thinking maybe I got this wrong. I was thinking I saw this movie recently. I didn't like it. Now I'm going to have to talk about why I don't like it. Let me refresh myself on why I don't like it. And then I loved it. Right. So I, I, I had a little bit of a a little inkling in my head that maybe I'm, I'm about to get next generation. I don't know. That so I, cool. I was excited That's to recheck it out. It would be cool to have a one-way next generationing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, then I don't know. I I didn't have anything going into this, so I'm just going to start with you now. Then, Liam, what did you think as you reappraised House on Haunted Hill? I really liked it, Corey. Hey. I'm a changed man. I'm a changed, what changed? man. Oh Do man! Do you think it was I... this show that just like rewired your brain into liking hokey shit or like what? Um, yeah, yeah, like, not just the show, um, but certainly the show has helped. I think in the last year and a half or so, I've really just gotten more in touch with, like, what I look for in movies and, um, what I appreciate in them. Um, I just, I like to be entertained. Um, my, my view isn't so narrow as to, uh only get entertainment from stuff that like i immediately recognize as being good that you know like it it doesn't it doesn't have to resemble the good stuff i've liked before in order for it to be good also i'd say the setting um certainly helps too because uh you know a year ago i still liked all sorts of stuff that other people would call trash and so um it hasn't been a total flip in that year but a year ago i watched this movie with uh, a bunch of friends in my basement and we were um uh i think we were just coming off of watching like the terminator and um we also watched like uh the first child's play which are like both very uh exciting um notable movies right off the bat and so to see one like this that is uh, I mean, like we said, it's a very different era of horror compared to those two things. Um, I guess it just didn't hit us in the right way. And and um, and it, it didn't land. But this time, man, I I, I really don't know uh, what's happened Maybe to me. Maybe it was just the right day of the week. Like, could, Yeah, could be. And I, I'm, I'm of the belief that a movie is only good, as good as the last time you watch it. And so... Um, 
I, I am glad I checked this one out again because uh, I think a second watch, a third watch, a fourth watch of movies is all really valid. I mean, Texas Chainsaw Next Gen is proof of that. Um, and so, it does make me nervous about all the things I saw for the first time and really liked on this show. It's true. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, it does work both ways. I think I think it's more often that you're going to dislike something and then like it more mm. on a second watch. You know, sometimes sometimes stuff goes down a bit. Um like I I just rewatched Alien mm. for the first for the first time uh fairly recently and I actually liked that less than I did okay. the first time around. Um so it it can work both ways, but in in this case I I really liked just a lot of the stuff that I didn't like the first time, man. Um, the performances, particularly our uh, owner of the of the house, Chris Catan, <laughs> who's like sort of the comic relief. Um, I really, I really liked him, and uh, I have disliked him ever since he did a guest spot in an episode of How I Met Your Mother, like ten years ago. He he's meant okay. to be in that episode super insufferable and terrible and and he he also has a very distinct face and so i guess ever since i saw him in that role i just associate his face with hatred the poor guy (laughs) so um anytime anytime i've seen him in anything else like i'm immediately (laughs) off just viciously seething through night at the roxbury (laughs) (laughs) but i guess i've grown past that because i i really quite liked him um I found myself thinking, okay, even though this is a haunted house movie, and even though this is like a gothic horror movie, both things that I'm typically not that into, um, it's strange because those subgenres both have elements that cross over with stuff I really like. It's like one setting, uh, people stuck somewhere, they've got to talk around a lot, the setting as character, um, and so I started thinking about it like that. I was like, "This is sort of a this is sort of a clue setup, you know, not in tone but in premise that all these people 100%. don't know each other yeah. and they're and they're coming into it's this house. It's literally a clue premise. A bunch out. of people get invited to a house and they don't really know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I put myself in that situation and um, I really tried to stick with it. And uh, for better or worse, it it worked out. Um, I would say for better. In fact, it's not even for better or worse. Um, it's i'm not as high as texas chainsaw next generation i can't sing its praises that high um you know there's still stuff that didn't land with me but i am i am very excited that i'm not as down on it as i was i'd say this is like a uh fun friday popcorn movie um really solid really uh it's it's a good it's a good example of that cool period in horror from the late 90s you know i'm, I'm never going to say it's my favorite period of horror um but uh it's it's a good example of it and um i had a good time with this movie um i don't know if i'll ever watch it again maybe one more time at some point in my life because i also got thinking while i was watching this movie Corey, i was like man this second watch is improving this movie so much for me but there are so many movies in the world I don't know yeah. how long I'm going to be here for. I was thinking <laughs> it's it's so sad that whenever you watch a movie, you don't know if that's going to be the last time you watch it. You know, this this I, I never like to think that way. Anytime I watch a movie, it's, it's like 
I, I, I feel like in my head, I always know, hey, I bet I'll see this about one more time and I'll figure out where I'm at. But you can't see every movie you see one more time in your life. So uh, I don't know if I'll, if I'll end up watching this one again. Like, it's not like Texas Chainsaw Next Gen where I'm so high on it that I know I'm going to throw it on at some point. But I also think this movie is fun enough that I would never be opposed to putting it on uh, if some friends like it and want to see it or if brianna who watched the movie with me and also really liked it if she's ever in the mood or if i get it on dvd or something i I would put it on again for sure um so it's a it's a nice fun like i'd say six to seven out of ten movie um and I'm, i'm really cool with that what about you my man um you know i uh i was kind of caught off guard um, because I didn't have a lot of the information I relayed at the beginning of the episode before watching the movie. So I didn't really know what I was in for. Uh, but, you know, like you said, is is it a perfect movie by any stretch? You know, probably not. And that's fine. Um, because, God, it's just so much fucking fun. Um, it's so much fun. And it's so... Like I said earlier, it's got such specific goals. It's replicating, or at least paying homage or working in the same space of a very specific thing a very specific tone and um it's updated to an extent because you know it's 1999 now like it's the future but um the way it plays is just it's just right like they just hit exactly what they were looking for and um you know it's one of those things where it's just sort of like i'm you know i'm pleasantly surprised I'd have this one. I agree with a lot of what you've already said where it's like the movie already gets a lot of bonus points for me because it's a, you know, small group of people, one setting, not a lot of information who done it adjacent because there's a lot of finger pointing early on as to uh, which half of this marriage is trying to kill the other one first. And uh, it's not a very scary movie at all. I don't think it's scary in the slightest, but in the way that you don't necessarily go to a haunted house just to be scared, or you do that because it's fun. Um, in the way that it plays up, I guess what I described as like the hokey lovableness of William Castle. This movie has a lot of that. Uh, it's not like at a one hundred percent perfect clip all the time of just being wacky fun, but most of it is, and I had a great time. And the production design is really cool. Like this house is wild. It was shot in part, or the exteriors, I think, were shot near Griffith Observatory. and um, But then you get in the house, because it's the 30s, it's got this whole Art Deco thing going on. And uh, it's got like these this like grungy, confusing maze layout basement. And just like, it looks really cohesive. Like, the different layers of the house feel connected in their aesthetic presentation. And the set seems big and like really well put together and well cared for like they had a consistent idea of what they wanted this to look like too starts with a really weird opening opening flashback that i think is is fun i don't know like i think just you know performance script aesthetics all just sort of come together to form something fun more than anything else yeah um i think it's really fun too i think um having a bit more 
knowledge of where the movie came from um, that I've picked up over the last year that I didn't have before I watched the movie um, has actually helped a lot because I think I picked up the movie um, expecting, you know, a horror remake that updated an old movie entirely to make it um, appeal to modern day horror sensibilities. You know, late 1990s, I thought that uh, um, that's close enough to the early 2000s that I thought it would it would have a dark um serious vibe to it um and i don't know if that would have made me like it more because a lot of those movies that are dark and serious like that i I don't think it pulls it off but i just think that's probably what i was expecting um but this time around i i had a better understanding that this movie is doing something really interesting where it's it's adapting horror from the 50s updating it and uh making it palatable for a modern day audience and so now i respect the movie far more because of how it is a callback to a a different kind of horror um and i think it it pulls it off really well i think that it is a whole lot of fun and um i think that it's it's just it's a different flavor it's it's not Scream from 96, which was a few years prior. You know, it's not those slasher movies. And it's also not the dark, yeah, gritty it's stuff not that Scream, would come a few it's years not later. Saw. It is. Yeah. And I, and I really, I really, I really appreciate that. And so my enjoyment doesn't just come from, uh, you know, knowledge of what they were doing like just within the hour and a half of watching the movie uh, i had a lot of fun with it um but i think that comes from uh like a a subconscious understanding that uh this movie is doing something unique like i i I felt that i felt the uniqueness this time watching the movie um and and picking up on like the 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 organ music and uh the even just the color palette like yeah yeah i i picked up on all that stuff and i appreciated it whereas um uh when i first watched it 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 came across as like less of homage and less interesting and more uh cheesy and like misguided whereas this time i think i i feel i i really feel the the intent and i think it it does a good job and i love that the movie itself kind of has a thesis statement within it um after that like op- the old-timey newsreel opening when uh famke jansen is in the bathtub watching whatever that show is called like totally terrifying true truth or whatever the fuck <laughs> yeah like unsolved mysteries or whatever or that show that everybody uses for the meme with uh Riker from star trek where it's like nope it never happened not true we made this one up you know? uh, it's, yeah. it's one of those and um but at the the theme park they're doing terror incognita is the name of the ride and uh he's being like really kind of gruff and, and crass but like he's got this like showmanship quality and they get in that elevator and the elevator stops working and they have that big like oh fuck we're all gonna die the elevator's broken but I had a gut feeling that the I wrote down I think the elevator is the ride and that wasn't entirely accurate but I think that scene setting of him being like see you know pretty good right now let's go to the actual ride 
Um, and just the way he talks about it being like, yep, 20 stories worth of top. Um, <laughs> and the roller coaster having like a fake car that flies off. And um, it sets the tone in a really interesting way. And Jeffrey Rush's whole performance is gold. Top to bottom gold. Um, he's so... I don't even know like what words to best use to describe it, but he's just crushing his role. And um, if that weren't there, I feel like it would be a bit more disorienting when you actually get to the house. So I think the movie knew where to spend its time to get the tone right because the movie's relatively short too. Yeah, I, I really like that this time around too, um, which is, again, just so interesting to me because I know that when I watched it a year ago, I was so off-put by this first we get you know like the the prologue sequence of uh the 30s where we get some some uh spooky stuff and then we go to the amusement park yeah yeah oh yeah um i had no idea what was going on at this amusement park it just wasn't what i expected at all i i thought it was so strange um maybe it's the fact that i've been to universal studios now dude that is (laughs) that is the hulk ride man i I had to to look it up that that was the hulk ride so so cool brianna recognized it right away because she's like the she's the amusement ride master and then as we were paying attention we we uh saw um her theory confirmed multiple times it was that that was a lot of fun and so that carried me through that sequence um and yeah looking back at it now i just i think it's a really cool setup to show where this uh the head of the operation is coming from and then uh as you see his character break down over the course of the movie it's uh it it provides a lot more depth whereas if you just if you just had them show right up at the house and you had um this this same character i think he would he would lose a lot of his humanity i think he would feel a lot uh a lot more cliched if you didn't establish him in the real world first and show that hey this is a dude who likes to play games with people he likes to sort of bend the rules he likes the gimmicks um in order to make money and in order to scare people and so i think that's that's a a great character to have in this haunted house because it keeps you on your toes throughout the movie as to what is he in on or and what is when has it gone so far that now he's scared too yeah well and i'm also thinking too just like uh (laughs) um wow that marriage huh not great and so the added layer of i think this couple is actually trying to kill each other (laughs) at this birthday party and like to what degree, like, the way that that sows an immediate level of distrust is so smart. Because if it weren't there, all you'd have is Chris Kattan being like, yeah, the house is alive, whatever. <laughs> They're all gonna die because the house is alive. And then everybody's sort of being like, okay, well, that guy's weird. Don't listen to him. But having, like, really, you know, cutthroat, back-and-forth verbal sparring between uh, Evelyn and uh, Steven and genuinely think like i think maybe they are trying to kill each other yes yeah um i think that's something really cool that this movie does and i think it's uh it's just an element of gothic literature that like every every main character is up to something um all the while there's something 
bigger than all of them happening. And so I I think it's really cool that all these characters sort of have their own agenda. They all have their own secrets, even if they're small, like the job that they have. Um, um, I, I did, I did have a moment where I thought everybody was going to have a false identity, and I was like, movie, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think it, it just adds a really nice wrinkle to the story, because going in, you know that you know that this house is, is going to end up being haunted or at least the hill it's on is going to be haunted well, this movie really that, should have been if called that were hill, hill with a haunted house <laughs> it should be called yeah haunted house on a hill I, and there's no indication that the hill <laughs> is up to anything um so you know like some ghosty stuff is going to go down um but with the, all these characters sort of running around the house putting one over on each other um, and then gradually each of them realizes that the house is haunted at different times. Uh, I think it it's a whole lot more fun. Um, it carries you through the movie, at least those the first half of the movie before stuff really starts going down. It, it keeps you interested. And um, it also it, it just calls back to like the Tales from the Crypt comics from the 50s and stuff where just you have awful people trying to do awful things uh this is i'm talking about here the relationship the marriage between the two of them (laughs) you just like you have people that are fuck you eddie for playing baseball (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're more they're more innocent um but the the marriage you you got these people that are trying to they're they're doing deceitful acts and um and then you you have them uh getting enveloped by something far more sinister and and getting their just desserts i I really like that stuff so i think uh i think that works well here too i appreciated that yeah and i think too um chris Catan's character is so important and it's weird because at first i was kind of just annoyed i was like okay this guy's gonna be a lot huh in this film Mm -hmm. but the way he just sort of like he's like okay so i can't get paid and i can't get out of here and he just instantly spirals and he just is like, I'm trying to just sell people on this. Like, he has a library straight up just says, well, at first, like, his introduction where he's just like, okay, everybody, hey, ho, hey, uh, can, we, uh, can we all get out of your cars? Hey, ma'am, sir, I don't know who's in the car. Please get out of the car. And then they start asking him questions. He's like, look, I don't, look, I own the house. I don't know. Can we just get inside the house, please? Can we just go up into the house, please, for the love of God? Please just go inside the house. Nobody trip while walking up to the house, and then he immediately trips. But he straight up has, my favorite line is, I lied. The house is alive. We're all going to die. <laughs> and he says it so earnestly and with such like genuine resignation for what he has discovered. And he spends a lot of the movie just being like, yeah, we don't know where that person is because they fucking died. Because <laughs> the house killed them because they died. And um, it's so funny. Like it, it went from being kind of annoying to working by the end. I, w- I was kind of in on it by the end. <laughs> Yeah, I thought the same thing. I guess my turn just had to... I found him annoying for the entirety of one watch. And then right away at the second watch, I found him really charming and funny and charismatic. Um, He's just one of those, like, the way he talks, uh, he's just, like, (laughs) naturally got this realism to him, this charm to him. Um, And I like the role he plays in the movie is, like, this harbinger of doom. Um, I think... uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think he's sort of the movie's secret weapon. I, I really liked his arc. 
I think too, just because like the actual main characters, I guess you could argue, um, being uh, who we learn is Sarah and Eddie. Um, it's not. It's more of an ensemble, of course, but like we follow them a lot. There's not a ton to them. <laughs> like they're just sort of there. Uh, you get a sense that they definitely need some money and are not evil. But you know, I think the 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 bulk of the the interest sort of comes from the couple and then Chris Kattan. I think too, just because like the twist with like the wife being attempting to kill him because the doctor was in on it doesn't really land for me. <laughs> Cause you ha- we have so absolutely no idea who that doctor character is that, you know, I could kind of, I could do without it. Like, or I'd rather that it was just Evelyn, like of her own devices or whatever. Sure. Um, I I liked it just in concept because it pushes the Tales from the Crypt thing home a bit where you've right. got uh, an affair happening. But then I thought it, it pushed it a bit far when it had the double swerve and she dispatches <laughs> of the doctor. Because um, at that point, it's like... Um, Okay, so like like spoilers for Scream Four, I guess, but it's it's the same sort of thing where it's like we already okay, did we're, a we're... podcast about Scream Four. <laughs> I know, but people might not have heard it. I mean, to the <laughs> I listeners. you meant for me. I was like, I know what happened in Scream Four. Oh no, trust me, Corey. I would not spoil Scream Four for you. <laughs> I, I managed without. Seen. I managed uh, for like sixty episodes not spoiling Scream Four for you. I wouldn't start now. Um, <laughs> But no, it's that idea of like you're working with someone and then, oh, turns out you're not working with them. Um, But that's something that works a whole lot better when you've been around the characters for longer. You have more time to understand them. Whereas in this one, because it's such an ensemble piece, uh, I think the double the double swerve um, feels a bit needless. Um, But I, I, I do like the the idea of these people keeping secrets and like there's one more card that gets to be played down because so much is going on in this house but uh in in terms of like who the doctor is and and why this is happening uh i I don't really know because that's not the main point of the movie it's just it's just in there you know yeah and then i think i think the biggest thing the thing that sort of helps carry the movie along is is not like the house as a character necessarily although I think it's cool that that's true, um, but it's the fa- it's how much of the time is spent with the movie not really showing you its hand. Okay, so we know the house is haunted, but a lot of the movie is spent um, just treating the house like a weird building and sort of navigating it and trying to figure out what's happening. A lot of the stuff where like somebody is getting you know electroshocked or put in a big uh, chamber or chased by ghouls is sort of in the second half the only major indications that we get are when um sarah is sort of tricked by a ghost that looks like eddie into falling into a vat of blood um the point i'm trying to get at is that a lot of the movie is spent with like people in a situation just trying to figure out what's happening um and there are plausible non-supernatural answers for what it could be um and I think it would be less interesting if there was not the plausible solution that this was just Steven or Evelyn or somebody else. Even though, like, for example, a man controlling security systems get, like, his entire face hollowed out. Which maybe, <laughs> which maybe someone didn't just sort of casually do. 
Yeah, I thought I thought that reveal came a bit early too. It's a yeah. great effect, but I think yeah, what you're saying holds a whole lot of uh holds a whole lot of water that um you're not quite sure where this is coming from. Like you're you're pretty sure. You're like you you know where it's going to end up, but a whole lot of the fun because we have these characters that is these two the the married characters uh that are sort of um uh, conflicting a lot and they they seem to know stuff about the house um, you think that maybe there's something else going on uh, one one is the the tide really going to turn and the house takes over and so I think uh, the um, some of those reveals could have been structured a bit better like uh, I think the vat of blood one where she thinks she sees Eddie but then she doesn't I think that's a good scene a good scare but i think it happens a bit early as does the hollowed out security man i'd say that happens a bit early too but they're both very cool effects i think the gore effects um in this movie are really really neat um there's just sometimes where um i think they're placed in like in a not super uh, satisfying way that that is moving the narrative along naturally like another one of them is uh when um the reporter character who's filming everything yeah she turns around and this spooky, creature spooky with, face with like a big head rushes up to her cool practical effect that, that shot is awesome know. also because uh they clearly had a wind machine because it starts blowing her hair back yeah, 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 yeah. Which is so uh, good. This figure rushes up to her, and then immediately there's like this three-second montage of just miscellaneous scary images. I didn't really Yeah, a lot of those images did it. not land for me either. Like, in this movie has this weird thing with, like, fast-moving stuff. Yeah. Like, someone standing yeah. in place and just sort of wigging out, and it's like, what is this supposed to do? It's, like- it's, it, it's very it, chapter one. Yeah. The, the old the old glitch throbble yeah and i I could do i could do without that but i like how something like that will happen that is clearly fucked up but people will be arguing about what person did it but then chris Catan's character just says something like this that what just happened to you there that's nothing you've just been playing around with a ghost wait till somebody lets out the darkness in this place that's a whole that's a whole bunch of new crazy shit that's you'll hate (laughs) that shit Yes. <laughs> exactly. So, like the way he just like resides like you're going to fucking hate that shit when somebody lets the darkness out of this house. Oh, I loved that. So, I think the second watch <laughs> for me just really the second watch uh showed me that the stuff I didn't like about the movie isn't actually as prevalent as I thought it was because that first watch I really didn't like the the glitchy scary effect that happens for like a second or two and then it's gone um those quick montages of images i didn't like those because i they felt like they were just slotted in in the editing room in order to scare you i didn't i didn't really recognize their place in the narrative and um this time around uh those scares still didn't really make sense to me but then the Chris Kattan character, you come back to him, the heart of the movie, and he really makes me laugh. And then um, there are some scares in the movie that really did work for me. My favorite one was actually right before that uh, montage that I just mentioned where the where the spooky dude runs up to the reporter. It's when she's holding up the camera 
and the camera, um, its viewfinder shows that there's a, a group of surgeons around someone on a table. But then when she lowers the camera, there's no one there. And then she raises it up again and the surgeons are there on her camera. And then they all just turn and stare at her on the camera screen i thought yeah. that was so i thought that was so eerie and creepy yeah and, uh, that, that there's i like, really liked that there are neat effects in here for sure i liked i liked that too and there's also a shot that just transitions from regular movie shot to security camera footage those are always fun yes yeah i like those too and i feel like um the movie doesn't have a, an overwhelming amount of this but it's willing to do like goofy shots like when melissa that's the reporter's name i think she uh gets seen by the spooky man and you get like a big dutch angle and it's like moving back and forth and there's a wind machine and like uh i think stephen price's character gets uh gets a couple shots like that too like something big and spooky happens and you just get like a big silly camera angle and i'm like yeah yeah let's do it let's have fun with this um i almost wish there was a little bit more of that like they just cranked that to like 11 or as the movie describes something at one point uh on a one to ten perversity meter a 73 yeah <laughs> just fucking crank this <laughs> shit to 73 dude yeah maybe maybe the fact that it's not at 73 is is what confused me um that first time around because uh that stuff is in there those dutch angles and also i'd say with the music stings uh there's a whole lot of classic um organ stuff in there and uh, but then it's it's juxtaposed with like these modern day effects that flash in and out and um are supposed to be scary and i just i don't think I they're supposed think... to be scary i really don't because they're so really? not scary that mm. like it almost feels on purpose like there's they had to have known that that wasn't gonna scare anybody <laughs> I don't know, man. I th I think that I think that it's trying to be scary. I really do. I'm a big baby, and I wasn't scared. <laughs> so I mean, I think you got to give yourself more credit, Corey. Have we seen anything on this podcast that's properly scared you? Um, probably. I'd have to think about it. But like, this movie doesn't even really feel like it's building tension in the way that it's building up to a like us a, a quote unquote scare. You know what I mean? But that's because i think its goals are different i don't think it's trying to scare anybody in much the same way that like haunted houses in real world in the real world in real world real haunted houses in reality um can can be scary but most people go in there to get an adrenaline rush and just kind of have a good time you know uh i think this movie just kind of wants you to have a good time and see some haunted house goofy shit yeah, I think it does that, but I think it's not just Haunted House goofy shit. I think it's trying to get an adrenaline rush from seeing Haunted House, like, scary shit. I, if, it is, I really it's, do. if it is, it's not working. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, th I think if it weren't trying to scare you, I think it would push that goofy stuff up to 73, and it would be more obvious. But I think it's trying to to be fun, to be a callback to the 50s, but I think it's also trying to get under your skin with moments like that. And and like I said, I thought some of them worked. Like I thought those those surgeon dudes turning around and scaring staring at her through the camera, that legitimately freaked me out. And so I think uh um there's some stuff in here that is that is 
shooting for it, and uh, most of it misses. Well, um, Liam, but, you, know. you have to think about it. This house, it's pissed. It has no morals because it's a fucking house. I wrote down a lot of his lines. They're so funny. <laughs> it is good. I would love a super cut of just what Chris he's Kattan up to bits. Yeah. in that movie. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I uh, and I like... I just like how it all comes together. It just it's fun. I don't I genuinely don't know if I have a ton more than that. It's just fun. Uh I do kind of wish maybe we had a little bit more of those uh of Sarah and Eddie just to sort of feel a little bit more attachment to that, but you know, it is what it is. I thought by the time we got to their last scene at uh sunrise i thought that was pretty rewarding because um i was much more attuned to them becoming the the main characters as the movie went on um much more than i was that first time around and so i think by the time we get that payoff of them at sunrise um with their little checks i thought that was really satisfying and and a really cool shot them way up there holy man that's really rumor has it they're up they're still up there yeah, that's what the sequel is about. Tay Diggs and Ali Larder are still up there. <laughs> like somebody has to help the them. crew left them there. That's the gimmick. That was the gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna reveal it when once they pass. They check on them once a year, and so far they're still alive, so they can't tell everyone that's the yeah, gimmick. They yet, were hoping they're gone. that return to House on Haunted Hill might get them down, but it did not. <laughs> we'll have to see man if i had known about that movie i think that's what we would have done instead just because i would have put that on the list at the time that i thought of this one um but i truly had no idea there was a sequel to this movie eight years later that is like to me that is the pinnacle of they made another one because i I, I, I hear people even talking about this movie, people that like this movie. Um, you know, it's it's sort of forgotten because it came and went in in that period of horror between Scream and Saw. But also, um, there's, there's enough attention there that uh, um, it's not totally neglected or forgotten. But when it comes to that sequel, 2007, Return to House on Haunted Hill, holy man, Corey, I had no no idea. So well, that's to get definitely to it on our list. Yeah, holy man. It still could hold up. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, but before we do that, uh, do you want to get our William Castle on? I had an idea while we were talking. I think that we should call our random number generator segment now uh, mm-hmm. the William Castle film g- <laughs> Genero. Sure. <laughs> I like Genero. I, yeah. I saw where you were so going So we're going to come to William Castle's film Genero, as we now call it in honor and deference to the man. Uh, and we're going to pick the movie, not that we're going to watch next week, but that we're going to watch the week after because next week it's Valentine's day and we're going to feel the love with a little bit of my bloody Valentine. That's right. Not to be confused with the band. <laughs> <laughs> Just let that we're gonna sit there do, for a while. We're going to do their reunion record. <laughs> <laughs> We're branching out. We did TV. Now we do music. And then soon we're going to do Skate 4. <laughs> Absolutely. We do all yeah. media. Oh, man. Not a bad idea. I, I mean, mean, we've done TV. We're so genuinely planning on reading a book. So, like, at this point, what difference does it make? Yeah. 
So uh, th- this Valentine's Day, we're doing My Bloody Valentine 3D from 2009. But who knows? Next Valentine's Day, we could do the third My Bloody Valentine <laughs> record. We'll see. And uh, so um, we've added a little bit to the list. So this uh, film genera is going to be from 1 to 245. And uh, drum roll, please. And so give me a countdown, Liam. Five. Four, three, two, one, hit it. Oh, 50. Bang on 50. Another early oh, one. Another early one. Dang, this William Castle Genero. This I'm is scrolling on building up. me. This is building fear in me. I don't remember what we put on this list at 50. All right, Corey. What's on either side um, of it first? We got to keep that in there. Sure. Either side, we have the bounty, which I don't even know what I don't that even, is. I don't know what that is. <laughs> But it's on there, uh, the so bounty? I guess I guess that that's uh, that's a good. Uh, they made another one bit. It's so it's so underseen that Corey and I don't know what it is. And then we have below it, American Psycho Two. Oh, okay. Which we've been kicking that can down the road. And we're gonna for a keep kicking it. <laughs> gonna keep kicking it because number fifty, Corey. We have you... the uh, the island of Doctor Moreau. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> You familiar with that bad boy? Oh, yeah. I can't believe we're doing these two movies so close together. That's right. It feels sort of <laughs> similar, doesn't it? Because yeah. it's, it's a callback to a different... I can't believe we're doing those so close together. Weird. Is this number genero haunted by William Castle's ghost? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the fact that you called it the William Castle... Film genero. Genero. I think uh, you kind of invited <laughs> that ghost in. <laughs> I guess. Okay. Wow. Um, oh, what year was that again? Do we have the year written down? I do. 1996. The third major film adaptation of the 1896 novel, The Island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells. Well, there you go. Okay. We're going <laughs> to. Okay. That's so weird that those are so close together. Um, so yeah, so if people want to want to play along at home, you know the next two weeks, it's My Bloody Valentine and then that. Uh, so, you know, feel free to check them out or just listen to us talk about them. It's your life. <laughs> That's it. That's, yeah. <laughs> End I of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. You want to, you want to, you want to, you want to. Sure. You want to yeah. do plugs? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Like you didn't even know what I was going to say. Yeah. Love that. Okay, cool. I'm, so, a, I'm an agreeable guy. So uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening to another episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at T-M-A-O. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what William Castle movie you would remake if you could get dark castle on board our fantastic thumbnail art is done by jade dickinson you can find on instagram at jade sketches and our custom made soundboard clips that you'll hear again one day i swear to god are by jason deline you can find on instagram at deline man liam where can people find you you guys can find my film writing alter ego graham the haunted marshmallow on twitter and letterbox my username is graham the Mallo. and you can find me on twitter and letterbox at mr Corey price and you can check out uh, my other podcast mk PodQuest, which i do with a uh, friend of the show final neil and recently we actually had jason deline on that show as well we are re-watching the uh 
classic fantasy action TV punch and kicking magic television show, Mortal Kombat Conquest, and you can find that at MK Podcast on everything. And uh, with that out of the way, we'll catch you here next time uh, in the feeling of love. <laughs> they made another one. <laughs>